Now, if you were with us on Friday, a day that's just probably the most horrific event in human history happened, we called it Good Friday because there was good that came from it. And we're going to talk about some of that good here this morning, but just to call to mind that on Friday, we talked about why we call it Good Friday. And one of the things we noted from our verses in Romans that we'll read here in a moment is that the suffering and death of Jesus answered any and all questions about the love of God. No one can say God doesn't understand. No one can say that God doesn't deal with uh, humanity in a passionate and compassionate way. Jesus suffered more than any human being has ever suffered. Micah says that his visage, his physical appearance, was marred more than any man. And when he was presented to the Jews, it was said by Pilate, Behold the man! And the point of that statement was, this guy's barely even recognizable as a human being, and you want me to now crucify him? Jesus gets it. He understands pain. He understands suffering. He understands sorrow. Listen, he understands betrayal. He knows what it's like to be stabbed in the back. He knows what it's like to be betrayed with a kiss. He knows what it's like to be fraudulently accused. All of these things happen in the week that we celebrate even now. And the death of Jesus on the cross proved unquestionably that God is a God of love. And the cross demonstrated a love that is exceptional from any form of human love. And that's why the passage we looked at from Romans uh, identified it as such. In Romans 5, 6 through 10, we look at 7 and 8 on Friday. But we're told when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. Big words coming up. But God. What's he do? He demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. Through the death of it, for when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. Much more having been reconciled, We shall be saved by his life. Is he still alive? Then we're still saved? Now, there are some who say, you know what? You actually can lose your salvation, but that's completely inconsistent with the fact that we're saved while we were yet sinners. We were justified while we were yet unrighteous. And indeed, we know that his blood was shed for us, us as sinners. And we need to remember that our salvation, as we just read, is sustained by his life. And as long as we are alive, we're imprinted on the palms of his hands. And we are safe and secure in the hands of Jesus. Now, let me just say this, because we don't want to go too far in the wrong direction. The Bible does teach in 1 John 2, 19, that those who say, you know what, I'm a believer, and then later they say, I'm not a believer, that just proves they never were a believer. Because John says, if they left, that's because they were never part of us. And therefore, we can rest in the fact that we are eternally secure in the outstretched arms of Jesus Christ. And listen, if he saved you while you're a yet sinner, it doesn't become a performance-based relationship after that, even though he wants us to live in a holy and righteous manner to bring glory to him. And listen, this unparalleled demonstration of love is why there's a good attached to Friday. It's why he suffered. It's why he remained silent. It's why he didn't, as we pointed out, call on 12 legions of angels, a legion being 6,000 in number, to defend them. And the reason that we pointed out on Friday was, well, it was Friday. But Sunday's coming. 
And now Sunday is here. And last Sunday, we talked about the fact that all that happened in the Passion Week wasn't a bunch of circumstances that the prophets were told to write down. They wrote them down before they happened. They wrote them down because God had already forestated it, having already foreseen it, and they happened just as the Lord had said. And today we celebrate the end result of what we commemorate on Good Friday. Now, in a famed passage in Isaiah chapter 53, it's known as the forbidden chapter. Rabbis don't teach it today because it is clearly about Jesus. And they made his grave with the wicked, verses 9 through 11 say. But with the rich at his what? At his death. Because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief, and when you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. One thing we need to pay attention to in Isaiah 53 is that it's all talking about one person. There's not another personage that's introduced. It's all about the he, him, and the his. It's all speaking, speaking of, it's all speaking, it's all speaking of one individual. Now, the reason we need to point that out is because this one individual was one whom the Lord was pleased to bruise and put to grief. One who died amongst the wicked, yet was buried among the rich, and yet he would see his seed and have prolonged days and see the labor of his soul. How can one man be all these things? How can he die among the wicked, be buried among the rich, and yet have prolonged days and see his seed, meaning the fruits of his labor? Well, thankfully, we have the answer. On Luke 20, or in Luke 24, 1-7, we're told about the first day of the week, very early in the morning. They and certain other women with them came to the tomb, bringing spices, which they had prepared. But they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Then they did what? Hello. Went in and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And it happened as they were greatly perplexed about this. And behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. Then as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, they, the two men, said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, somebody said, but is risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day do what? Rise, Rise again. Listen, the man of Isaiah 53 is the God-man. He is the Emmanuel of Isaiah 7:14. He is the Messiah that was cut off of Daniel 9, chapter 26, who was cut off but not for himself. He died for the iniquity of us all. He is the one who after three days in the heart of the earth like Jonah was in the belly of the great fish, who early in the morning on the first day of the week rose from the dead and is alive forevermore. And as I mentioned on Friday, our theme for the weekend, including this morning, and thus our title is Remember. We remembered two things about the crucifixion of Jesus and their importance to us as born-again Christians today, and we'll add a trio to the pair this morning that we looked at on Good Friday. But this morning, we're not going to look at things concerning his death, but rather the fact that he is alive and what that means to you and to me. So would you bow your heads and pray with me, please, as we seek the Lord's blessing on our time. Father, we are grateful this morning uh, that Sunday has come. Thank you for this very special year where Good Friday fell on Passover which is consistent with the biblical record. And we thank you that we now, uh, Lord, are standing here today, are seated here today 
serving a living and resurrected King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So Lord, help us to see the import of that this morning, the importance of that and the application of it in our day-to-day lives. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, this morning I want to take us to a couple of different situations, three actually, and and throw in a few extra uh, concerning events that took place after the resurrection of Christ. And we'll move furthest away uh, from the resurrection of Christ and talk about what Paul had to say about the resurrected Lord in 1 Corinthians 15, 12 to 20, and then we'll draw a little closer to the actual event. Paul said, if Christ has preached that he's been raised from the dead, how do some among you say there is no resurrection from the dead? But if there is no resurrection from the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty, and your faith is also empty. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God because we've testified that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up, if in fact the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Now, we need to recognize that the first century Christians well understood the bodily resurrection of all born-again believers. And that's why they likened death to sleeping, because the body someday was going to wake up. And they also understood that to be absent from the body was to be present with the Lord, and the soul would go to be with the Lord as the body uh, would wait for that uh, reunion, so to speak, that was in yet a future day. I believe that day is not too far off. Paul was addressing a group known as the Sadducees. The Sadducees didn't believe in the spiritual realm. They didn't believe in angels. They didn't believe in life after death. They didn't believe that God was even involved in the affairs of people's lives on a day-to-day basis. And this is why they are sad, you see. (laughs) Sorry. Need that drummer up here, man. Boom, boom. And Paul says, you know what? That's a pitiful existence. What a pitiful existence to not believe that there is a spirit realm and that this life is all there is and that God is uninterested or unconcerned in our lives and how things are unfolding for us. But thankfully, the Sadducees were wrong. There is life after death. God does care about us. There are angels who are ministering spirits and even guardian angels that are presented in Scripture. And listen, God demonstrated his love for us on the cross, and now Christ is risen from the dead, and he has become the first fruits of all who have died. And remember, Jesus died on Passover. He fulfilled the Feast of Unleavened Bread through his sinless life. And early in the morning on the first day of the week, three days later, he rose on the uh, Feast of First Fruits. And the truth is, this gives us something to remember this Resurrection Sunday morning And it's just this. Listen, you ready for this? I got this a few weeks ago, and I I like it. (laughs) Listen. His tomb is empty, so ours can be too. His tomb is empty, so ours can be too. And listen, the point is that Paul will later say in 1 Corinthians 15 that death has lost its sting. For the death grip of sin has been broken. Life after death has now been proven because Jesus is alive. And in 1 Corinthians 15, 21 to 24, Paul said this, that since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive, but each one in his own order. 
Christ, the first fruits, first one to resurrect from the dead and stay alive forever. Afterward, those who are Christ that is coming. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, when he puts an end to all rule and all authority and power. There's some uh, folks in places of authority and power today that I'm ready to uh, have them exit, aren't you? And the Lord's going to put an end to all of that someday. He had to be the first to rise from the dead. And now that he has risen, things have been put into motion, and someday the dead in Christ are going to rise first, according to 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 to 16, and we who are alive and remain are going to meet them in the air. His empty tomb emptied others. And there's also one generation whose tombs are going to be empty because they're never going to be occupied. I believe we are that generation. Listen, I'm all about the group plan, aren't you? You know, I'm not afraid to die, but I do have concerns about the method. I'm sure you do too, right? And we know what awaits us after death. And even those who have gone before, those who have died before us, those whose bodies are now in the grave, listen, those tombs are going to be empty too because he's going to empty them out when we go to meet him in the air. And in Romans 8.29, we're told, whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Now listen, there's a lot said about this verse, but what the verse actually says is that the destination of predestination is conformity into the image of Jesus Christ, which is what Paul talks about in Philippians 3.20-21. He says, our citizenship is in heaven, from which... We also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body, that it may be conformed to his what? Glorious body, according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. Now, we often talk about the fact that Jesus didn't own a tomb. He only borrowed one because he only needed it for the weekend. And that is true. But what we don't often recognize is that for the Christian, all tombs are temporary. All of us are going to be reunited with our bodies someday. Some of us will put it on instantaneously in the moment and the twinkling of an eye, be conformed to the glorious body of Jesus Christ. And as John would say, uh, John the Beloved, when we see him, we will be like him, for we will see him as he is. And I don't know about you, but that uh, is getting more and more appealing by the day. Amen. That glorious body, amen? Amen. And that's what this Resurrection Sunday is all about. It's about defeating death. It's about destroying fear. And this is what Jesus did when he came up from the grave. And he said, you know what? Someday you're going to be reunited with your physical body if you happen to die. And someday all the tombs of the dead in Christ are going to be emptied in a moment in a twinkling of an eye. How do we know? If his is empty, ours can be empty too. Amen? That's the first thing for us to remember this Resurrection Sunday morning. Secondly, I want to share a few things here this morning. I think this is just such a beautiful picture of our Lord and who He is and His great compassion for us. Remember when Jesus just showed up in a room behind closed doors? And he just appeared. And there was somebody in the room that needed to meet with Him. There was a guy named Thomas. Some call him the doubter. I think is more appropriate, but he's the skeptic. Because Thomas said, you know what? Unless I look at his hands and put my hand in that wound in his side, I'm not going to believe it's him. And then Jesus shows up in a room and says, Thomas, put your hand right here. 
And after this, some of his disciples went back to fishing. After this encounter, where Thomas put his hands in the sight of the Lord and saw the scars on his hand. They've been fishing all night, and they caught nothing. And then they had this encounter with Jesus in John 21, 5 to 13. Jesus said to them, children, have you any food? They answered him, no. In other words, how's the fishing going? We didn't catch anything. So what's Jesus say? Cast the net on the right side of the boat. I think that had a double meaning. You're fishing on the wrong side of the boat. And you will find some. So they cast, and now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. Therefore, the disciple whom Jesus loved, which is John the Beloved, said to Peter, It's the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he had removed it. He plunged into the sea. But the other disciples came in a little boat, for they were not far from land, about 200 cubits. A cubit is 18, 19 inches. Dragging with them, uh, dragging the net with the fish. Then as soon as they had come to land, they saw a fire of coals there and fish laid on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring up some of the fish which you just caught. Simon Peter went up and dragged the net to the land full of large fish, 153. And although there were so many, the net was not broken. And Jesus said to them, come and eat breakfast. Yet none of the fish for breakfast. How about that? None of the disciples dared. Uh, my wife actually eats fish for breakfast. So she's a disciple. That's how you know. Yeah. Listen. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? Knowing that it was the Lord. Uh, I find this to be a bit comical. If you know it's the Lord, why would you say, who are you? But they didn't want to say, is that you, Jesus? Because they knew it was him. Jesus then came and took bread and gave it to them. And likewise, the fish. So they met Thomas by appearing miraculously behind closed doors. His disciples who went back to fishing and fished all night and caught nothing. He said, you need to throw the net out on the right side of the boat. And think about the other post-resurrection encounters Jesus had with his followers. Heartbroken Mary was at the tomb. And after she met Jesus, she went her way rejoicing. Thomas was skeptical of the things he heard. He wanted proof. Jesus appeared in a room and said to Thomas, check out my hands, put your hand in my side. Here Jesus asked his fishing disciples if they caught anything. They said no. He told them where the fish were and they hauled in a near net breaking catch. And you know what the next thing was that happened? He restored Peter. And listen, this is what is so beautiful about this scene of the resurrected Lord because Peter desperately needed restoration. And again, this dispels the thinking and teaching of the Sadducees that God is aloof and uninterested in our day-to-day -day lives, which brings us to the next thing. We need to remember this Resurrection Sunday, and it's just this. Listen, the resurrection met mankind's greatest need. The resurrection met mankind's greatest need. Because Sunday is what makes Friday good. Yeah. And you know, there are those who would say, you know, well, actually it was the cross that met man's greatest need. But here's the thing. If the story ended on Friday, it would have ended like Muhammad's did. It would have ended like Buddha's did. And every other person who sought to establish a religion with the founder's death. And listen, mankind did not need a dead founder of a religion. Mankind needed a living God and Savior in the form of Jesus Christ. And this is what he is and remains to be to this day. And we mentioned this on Good Friday, but it bears repeating on Resurrection Sunday, where Paul said, having learned this directly from the Lord in, in 1 Corinthians 11 about the communion elements, he said, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death 
till what? Doesn't that require a resurrection? If you're proclaiming his death till he comes, that means he's alive. And indeed he is, amen? And proclaiming the Lord's death till he comes means he's coming again. And if he's coming again, that means the grave couldn't hold him. And he is alive, which is what mankind needs. And we also need to note that the resurrection transformed religious ritual into an intimate relationship. He was raised from the dead and he met Mary's need and filled her heart with joy. He was raised from the dead and he met Thomas' need and proved indeed it was he who was alive. And Thomas responded by falling on his knees and saying, my Lord and my God, not my establisher of another religion, my Lord and my God. Peter, who denied the Lord three times on the same night of Jesus' betrayal, illegal arrest, and marked trial, needed to be restored, and a dead religious leader cannot restore anybody. But Jesus was not found among the dead. He was among the living, and his tomb was empty. And listen, by the Sea of Galilee, Jesus took a man filled with shame and guilt and restored him because he loved him. Hebrews tells us in 723 to 25, I just think that's so beautiful. <laughs> Hebrews, you just bear with me while I'm having a moment up here. So. <laughs> Hebrews 723 to 25 says, and there were many priests because they were prevented by death from continuing. That's why there had to be many. Some had to replace the ones who died. But he, Jesus, because he continues for how long? Forever, Forever has an unchangeable priesthood. Therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. And in the famed passage of chapter 12, after the Hall of Faith record in chapter 11 of Hebrews 1 and 2 says, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, the group mentioned in chapter 11, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down where? At the right hand of the throne of God. Listen, in Scripture, the right hand is symbolic of power. It is symbolic of absolute authority. And Jesus is seated at the right hand of majesty on high as our intercessor before God, and his existence intercedes for all who are saved. Now, think about this famous verse from Isaiah 41.10. The prophet says, fear not, God speaking, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my what? Who's at the right hand of the Father? Jesus is at the right hand of the Father. Now think about the things we just talked about. Did Jesus not help Mary with her fear and dismay when he appeared to her at the garden tomb? Did Jesus not strengthen Thomas when he showed him his side and scarred hands? Did not the resurrected Lord help Peter and uphold him with his righteous right hand by restoring him? And this is what we all need. And this is what the resurrection has given us. Because of the resurrection, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Because of the resurrection, we have a present help in time of need. Because of the resurrection, we have a supplier of all our needs according to his riches and glory. Because of the resurrection, we have a daily intercessor. We have an instiller of hope. We have a prover of life after death. We have a giver of sufficient grace. We have a repairer of the breach. We have a restorer of what the swarming locust has eaten. 
And on top of that, we have a peace that passes understanding that guards your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. I don't know why I'm getting all emotional. It must be Resurrection Sunday or something. Listen, all of these things are ours because when they came to the tomb early in the morning on the first day of the week, he was not there. He was risen. Now, what we also need to remember and why we paused when we read through the scene in Luke, the stone wasn't rolled away to let him out. He didn't need any help. The stone was rolled away to let us in. So we could see that that tomb is indeed empty and therefore know he is alive forevermore. And even therefore the great enemy of death has lost its sting. Now, one last thing on this most blessed of days. Looking at the book of Acts in chapter 1, verses 4 to 11, we're told being assembled together with them, this is speaking of Jesus, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me, for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know times or season which the Father has put under his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now, when he had spoken these things while they watched, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel who also said, men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. Amen. You know, it's funny to see so many in our world today who claim to be the second coming of Jesus uh, that actually gained followers. When Amir and I were in the Philippines a couple years ago, uh, outside of Davao, there was a man who claims to be the, the return of Jesus Christ. And I was trying to think of the... Um, the verse that says he came as the king of the Jews and came back as a Filipino. I couldn't find that <laughs> anywhere in Scripture. This same Jesus is going to return. And listen, 40 days earlier, Jesus had a conversation with the disciples about this very thing. He told them that it was necessary for him to return from heaven because if he didn't, John 16, 7 says, the helper, the Holy Spirit, couldn't come. Now, the Bible doesn't give any explanation uh, as to why uh, Jesus had to depart for the Holy Spirit to come. It just says it as fact, and we believe it. And we believe it. Amen. Now, in John 14, he told them the Holy Spirit would teach them all things. He told them the Holy Spirit would call to remembrance the things that the Lord had said. He told them the Spirit would convict the world of sin. And the Helper will help them keep his commandments because he's going to dwell in them. Now, later in Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, after the promise of the Holy Spirit was made, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, this is the fulfillment of the fourth of the spring feasts, they were all in one accord with one in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as a fire, and one sat on each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Listen, Jesus said, say Jesus said. Jesus. Jesus said they would receive power when the Holy Spirit came upon them and they received power when the Holy Spirit came upon them. 
Peter would then preach a sermon in Acts chapter 2 that grew the church from about 120 to over 3,100 on the first day of the church's existence. And in the midst of his Holy Spirit-empowered preaching, he said this in response to the inquiry of the Jews who were convicted by the Holy Spirit, like Jesus said the Holy Spirit would do. Through his preaching in Acts 2, 38 and 39, Peter said to them, Repent! And let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise, the promise of the Holy Spirit, is to you and to your children and to all who are far off or down through church history. As many as the Lord our God will call have the promise of the Holy Spirit. Now, this is the same promise and it's the same Spirit that was promised to the disciples, the spirit of power to be witnesses. Now here's our last take take away this Resurrection Sunday. Listen, Jesus' ascension filled God's people with Holy Spirit power. Jesus' ascension, because it was necessary, he said, it can't happen unless I go away. Jesus' ascension filled God's people with Holy Spirit power. Now, when he departed, the Holy Spirit came. And this promise is true, Peter said, to Christians in every age. And listen, whenever we have something we find in the Old Testament that is dependent upon the nature and character of God, we as the church are free to embrace it because God doesn't change. So if he talks about being faithful, he's not just faithful to Israel, he's faithful to the church. If he says he is Israel's provider, he'll be the provider to the church because that's part of his nature and character, and he doesn't change. And here's what the Lord said to Israel, again through Isaiah in 35.4. Say to those who are fearful hearted, be strong and do not fear. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. With the recompense of God, he will come and what? And save you. Well, do we find something like that in the New Testament? Absolutely. 2 Timothy 1, 7. For God has not given us the spirit of fear, but a power love and a what? A sound mind until there's a pandemic and then everybody's going to lose their minds. No, we have a sound mind right now. Amen. And again... The only reason this is possible is because the tomb is empty. And Jesus ascended and the Holy Spirit has come. And the Holy Spirit doesn't dwell everyone who believes. And the Holy Spirit has given us the power to be witnesses even to the ends of the earth. And Paul would add this in Ephesians 3, 20 to 21. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory where? In the church. By Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever, somebody say, Listen, Christian, the day you got saved, you were filled with the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 1.13 says that is the guarantee that you have a future inheritance in heaven. And nowhere in the Bible does it say that guarantee can be reversed. You can be duped into thinking you're saved and not be. The Bible clearly teaches that. That's why Jesus concluded with that very thought. Uh, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 7, 20 and 21, many will say, Lord, Lord, and uh, say, you know, we had a lot, a whole, a whole bunch of spiritual activity going on, you know, healings and miracles and all that stuff. And Jesus says, you know, well, here's the problem. I don't know you. And you never knew me. And it's identified by your practice of lawlessness. And listen, what the resurrection has done for us and the power of the Holy Spirit within us has done for us has assured us that the one who is in us is greater than the one who is in the world. And since we don't have the spirit of fear, but a power, love, and a sound mind, listen, in these last days, we ought to be sticking out like a sore thumb. 
I love that old saying, when you find a Bible that's fallen apart, it belongs to a Christian who isn't. Right. <laughs> now listen, we have the Word of God. And we have every reason to have hope in these last days, no matter what's going on, no matter how weird these last days may get. You know, I, I think it's so bizarre, all this uh, hoopla over this uh, supposed uh, gay, not don't say gay law in Florida. That's not what, what the law is called. It's called the parental rights law. You know, listen, if you think that you need to be talking to kindergartners about sex, you're a pervert. And you got no business teaching anybody anything. You ought to be fired for even having that idea in your head that you ought to be talking about these little kids, uh, two little kids about these things they don't even understand. But you know what? God's on the throne and Jesus is coming and he's going to straighten this world out uh, and we're going to meet him in the air first and be in heaven uh, with him for seven years. And uh, we're going to skip that whole tribulation thing because we don't have an appointment with that. And Romans 8, 9 through 11 says, But you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he's not his. And if Christ is in you, the body's dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, and he does... He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Listen this morning as we wrap up our time together. I think that this Resurrection Sunday should be a marker in time where the church starts walking in power. We start messing around. Stop mess, not start messing around. We're already doing that. We stop messing around with nonsensical things and, you know, just be about the father's business and do business till he comes. And, and listen, I'm not trying to throw anybody under the bus or put anybody onto a guilt trip. You know, I was raised in a home, Christian home, wonderful Christian home, in church all the time. Both my parents loved the Lord. My dad's with the Lord now, uh, just faithful, shared the gospel everywhere he went. My mom, a wonderful Christian mother. And uh, But you know what? We had Easter baskets and dyed eggs every year. And uh, we're not going to hell for that. <laughs> Hello? So, and here's why I say that, because I'm not trying to make anybody feel bad. You know, chocolate is, is like, chocolate's like all right. Dark chocolate is be above all right. And I don't care what you shape it into, it is all right, amen? But, I say that for this reason. There, there's a church in our area, and I've long I've listened to the pastor there many, many times, and he's just a, a stellar Bible expositor. I don't agree with everything he says. He's got uh, he believes this, the gifts of the Spirit uh, passed with the apostles. And my first thought is, well, then how are you preaching? You're giving a speech if you're not empowered by the Holy Spirit. And uh, so, whether he believes it or not, the gifts are for today. But I saw a big ad in the paper where they yesterday, and it just stunned me because this man seems to have such respect for the word, where in our own community, they had an egg extravaganza, a massive Easter egg hunt in a public park. And, you know, again, you know, egg drops from helicopters and all these other things. I don't think that's the way we ought to be representing the most important day in human history. I think we ought to be talking about the resurrection of Jesus. Listen, you want to eat chocolate when you get home, have at it. The ears are best. 
because they're usually solid, right? <laughs> so you just have at it. Again, I'm not trying to throw anybody under the bus. My point is this. Let's be about the church's business. We, don't, we haven't been given Holy Spirit power to hide Easter eggs. We haven't been given Holy Spirit power to have people at the church dress up like a bunny. We've been given Holy Spirit power to preach the gospel to every creature. And that's what we need to be about. Because the truth is, we are a people who have had our greatest need met. And our greatest need is to be made alive in Christ. And sure, the, should the Lord tarry and we face death, and I hope we don't, our tomb is going to be like that of Jesus. Temporary. For those who are in Christ have had all things pass away, and behold, all things have become new. And listen, these are things to remember on Resurrection Sunday. And, I, you know, I don't get into the whole, you know, Easter, Ishtar, all this other stuff. You know, the word the Easter comes from a German word, Oster. And it's just a German word for Easter. It got nothing to do with Ishtar, dyed eggs and chocolate bunnies and all that. That has something to do with the goddess of fertility and all that. But listen, I saw this thing the other day on, on social media. It popped up in a, a little real thing. And um, it was uh, uh, Alexis. That's the thing you talk to and it answers you, right? And this, this, is that right? The Alexa, Alexa. This, this little boy, like eight, nine years old, he goes up and he says, Alexa, can reindeer fly? And Alexa says, no, reindeer can't fly and Santa's not real. The dad just lost it. And he said, Alexa's a liar. Don't listen to Alexa. No, Alexa told the truth. And, you know, I don't, I don't want to burst anybody's bubble here, but Easter Bunny's a phony. There's no such thing. But Jesus is alive. And he's very, very real. And he's coming again. How, how do we know? Early in the morning, on the 17th of Nisan, 32 AD, women went to the tomb to see if he was there. The stone had been rolled away, and two angels said, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Somebody say, Amen.